This is Dr. Philip Kotler, co-author of Marketing 4.0, Moving from Traditional to Digital. And you are listening to the 100th episode of the Marketing Book Podcast. Welcome to the Marketing Book Podcast, helping you keep up with the smartest thinking in the quickly changing field of modern marketing. And now, here's your host, Douglas Burdett. Hello, thanks for joining me on the 100th episode of the Marketing Book Podcast, which was named by LinkedIn as one of 10 podcasts that will make you a better marketer. My goal for this podcast is to help you discover new ideas about what's actually working in modern marketing. Don't worry about taking notes. You can find links to everything discussed in this episode's show notes at marketingbookpodcast.com. Also, if you're listening to the show right now, and you're not driving or operating dangerous machinery, please send me a tweet and tell me where in the world you're listening from. My Twitter handle is at marketingbook. For this 100th episode, we're joined by Dr. Philip Kotler, and we're going to talk about the new book that he has co-authored with Hermawan Kartajaya and Iwan Setiawan entitled Marketing 4.0, Moving from Traditional to Digital. Dr. Philip Kotler is the S.C. Johnson and Son Distinguished Professor of International Marketing at the Kellogg School of Management, Northwestern University, where he's been on the faculty since 1962. He's also the author of over 55 marketing books, including Marketing Management, which is now in its 14th edition, Principles of Marketing, Kotler on Marketing, How to Create, Win, and Dominate Markets, and Marketing 3.0, From Products to Customers to the Human Spirit. Dr. Kotler has incredible and international presence. His books have been translated into approximately 25 languages, and he regularly speaks on the international circuit. In 2005, the Financial Times surveyed 1,000 executives in 25 countries about the most influential business writers and management gurus, and Dr. Kotler ranked fourth after Peter Drucker, Bill Gates, and Jack Welch. He is ranked by the Wall Street Journal as one of the top six most influential business thinkers, and he is widely regarded as the father of modern marketing. Dr. Kotler, congratulations on Marketing 4.0, and welcome to the Marketing Book Podcast. Douglas, you just uh, stated those things uh, well, and I appreciate the introduction you're giving to me. Well, and you, uh, going back to, uh, it's, it's an honor to have you. And uh, going back to your international presence, you were recently in Japan with a very recent guest on the Marketing Book Podcast, Professor Malcolm McDonald. Yes, uh, Malcolm, I know, has done a a podcast for you, and he's a dear, dear friend in England. And he is probably the best authority on B2B, business-to-business marketing, particularly on planning, marketing planning. Yes, Mm -hmm. I saw him in Japan. And we talked about his second edition of his book, Malcolm McDonald on Marketing Planning. So I just have to tell my Dr. Kotler story. One of the many reasons I'm so excited to have you on this show. In the 1980s, 90s, I was working at J. Walter Thompson, the big ad agency in New York. And when I was working there, I went down to the NYU bookstore and I bought your textbook, Marketing Management. And that one was the seventh edition. And I'm holding it in my hands right now. And it's in the 14th uh, issue edition now. And a friend of mine at work there was going to leave and go off and get an MBA at Northwestern. And I remember telling him, you know, oh, you're, you, Dr. Kotler might be one of your professors. And I was going to give him my book in hopes that 
he could get you to autograph it. <laughs> but my concern is that I wasn't going to get it back. And I still have the price tag on it. It was $60 in the early 90s, worth every penny, of course. But anyway, you've uh, your work has uh, touched so many lives of marketers and, and, and business folks. Yeah, let, uh, let me tell you a related story. Uh, I've had a CEO come up to me uh, when I was abroad, and he said, here's the book I look at almost every day. And I looked at the book. It was my first edition of Marketing Management, published in 1967. So I said to him, you say that you use it? Tell me, did you like the chapter on the Internet? He says, I know, <laughs> how do you measure brand equity, I asked him. And he says, I didn't remember seeing that in the book either. So I said, you know, frankly, that isn't today's marketing. You read about 1967 marketing, and therefore... I think you need a new book, and it's not that I need your money, but I've already published the 15th edition. And by the way, Douglas, it's the 15th edition that oh, I'm my sorry. latest. And he said, good, I'll buy it because I really better get on top of it. Okay, well, I guess... Uh, so I did, but I signed the book anyways because <laughs> having made the lesson clear and he understood it, I signed his book. That's great. That's great. Well, I got it off of Wikipedia, so it just goes to show that it's not always it's not always accurate. So let me start with a, a quote from the book, and we'll get into a few questions about it. It goes as follows. Marketing 4.0 is a marketing approach that combines online and offline interaction between companies and customers. In the digital economy, digital interaction alone is not sufficient. In fact, in an increasingly online world, Offline touch represents a strong differentiation. Marketing 4.0 also blends style with substance. While it is imperative for brands to be more flexible and adaptive due to rapid technological trends, their authentic characters are more important than ever. In an increasingly transparent world, authenticity is the most valuable asset. So, Dr. Kotler, can you explain for the listener the, the book Marketing 3.0 and, and how it came to uh, be uh, this updated version? In uh, the year 2010, we published the book Marketing 3.0. By we, I mean the other two authors who then, six years later, the three of us decided that the changes in marketing were so substantial because of the internet, that we had to update 3.0 to 4.0. But it's important to understand what 3.0 did and what 1.0 is. 1.0 is the old-fashioned marketing where you, you basically make a product and you have salesmen who are going to try to sell it. And you try to sell it on the basis of its performance capabilities. So you price for performance and people might say, yeah, that's a good value for the money. Uh, but we were leaving out emotions. So we went to 2.0, which is about the heart, not just the mind, and said that companies would be smarter to also understand that people buy products for many different reasons. And if we can do a high touch besides, a, uh, you know, a, a high tech, then it would help. And that uh, went over well. And so 3.0 raised us to even a higher level, namely that all the 
efforts at marketing have a big impact on the environment in which we live and the society and so on. And there should be some measure of compassion in serving customers. You know, for example, you can keep selling them bad food to eat because it's tasty and the wrong things to drink because, again, it's tasty. But you might want to ask about the whole person. And and the most authentic relationship you can have is to really be serving value to the person, not just in his terms, but reminding him possibly of what is real value to his health and his livelihood. So that left the 3.0 well well off because we had a great following for for that message however since the the last 6 years we've seen that we are increasingly moving into online marketing but we shouldn't forget offline marketing uh, there is a tendency for people to predict that everything will be online in the future. And uh, we think that would be a mistake. The fact is that we have to reach the customer in a number of ways and blend both offline and online. And I'll make this point that Procter & Gamble, I noticed, was up to about 35% uh, digital marketing which means that they were 65% still broadcast and print marketing. I even believe that will go further, maybe 50%, but I don't think we're going to go to 100% digital marketing. And therefore, we have to explain to people uh, who want to know the new marketing uh, through that book we wrote, how do you incorporate the digital side and blend it with the traditional side? You talk in the book about why connectivity is the most important game changer in the history of marketing. Can you explain the this concept of connectivity and why it's had such a big impact? Yes. We didn't, uh, as consumers, uh, know much about corporations except for what they told us about themselves, uh, which was usually the 30-second commercial. And uh, so we would say if the company wanted us to feel warm toward them, um, and and trusting of them, it would be their job to just keep reaching us with their print ads and their uh, and their uh, thirty second commercials. Uh, but today we can learn a great deal about a company without them saying anything about themselves, although they will continue to say things about themselves. <laughs> yes. We we can um, uh, ask our friends about a certain car experience they had. Or, or what they got out of a certain uh, refrigerator or, or washing machine appliance. We can rate, uh, read ratings of all of these things. And therefore, we can connect with so many more points of information, our friends, acquaintances, rating systems, uh, and so on. And not only uh, just to get no, to know more about a particular product and company, we can reach anywhere in the world now in a way that was not possible before. Do you remember, Doug, the days when how much it would cost us to make a phone call? Yes. Even to England. And nowadays, we never think of money uh, as stopping us from connecting with distant friends and and even calling uh, companies and so on and so forth. So that's the connectivity is something that Facebook was the one to first push that uh, the, and they their idea is that 
everyone it's in principle can, you can connect to everyone in the world yeah and and so because of that connectivity and the the digital nature of all this and i guess people think that that's it's just going increasingly that way the long march continues in the, in the book you explain that high touch interaction is becoming the new differentiation for marketers yes i, I we believe that we live in basically um, big cities. Big cities are very different than living in small towns or villages. Uh, one of the differences, uh, it's a very alienating experience. We see masses of other people, and we don't know anything about them. And it's very different in a small town. And so uh, we, we have to um, navigate ourselves uh, carefully in in where we live in in finding out what is available to us and nowadays with the email and other means we are visited by by many messages many many messages come from sponsors of all kinds uh, trying to sell us all kinds of things and so we're in a world of uh, of brands we live in a world of brands. Now, you raised the question about experience and so on. There's a big statement that um, in the past, uh, we were just focused on the product. And later, we got very interested in services. And those are things that have become quite pedestrian. I mean, everyone can find a, uh, you know, a can of Coke when they want it and they can get uh, the service uh, banks. They go into a bank, you get the, the bank service. But the real question is, um, is there any, we're missing as urban consumers, high touch. We're missing the satisfaction of real relationships and caring other people who care. And so we have been advising companies to make more of a the delivery of an experience as part of what they're doing. This is especially pertinent to retailing. In other words, uh, if I face clerks who are indifferent to our presence or uh, eat in a restaurant where everything is mechanically done, even the, the smile is mechanical, I, um, I don't feel very close to that organization. So mm -hmm. we're, we're, we're trying to... Uh, say that there's a hunger for real intimacy and experience. And some companies have learned how to do it. You, you know, there is a company that, um, uh, that sells fishing rods and so on. And I'm trying to remember its name. And in the, in the retailer retail shop, you actually go fishing. I mean, that's, oh. that's simulating, that's more than simulating the experience. <laughs> that sounds like something uh, I might see at Bass Pro Shop. That may be it, yeah. That may be Bass. I, I've seen a, a lot of fish when I've been there. I didn't know that people were actually uh, fishing in it, but that's true. You know, talking about the human touch, let me just read one other excerpt from the book that really, really got my attention. You say, brands should become less intimidating. They should become authentic and honest, admit their flaws, and stop trying to seem perfect. Driven by core values, human-centric brands treat customers as friends, becoming an integral part of their lifestyle. And you go on to, to say that you know, in Chapter 8 that marketers should 
try to create brands that behave more like humans, approachable and likable, but also vulnerable. Can you explain more about why that's becoming so important? Uh, well, in the old days, we said a brand's going to be put across as a perfect uh, solution to a well-understood need that some customer has. And of course, by claiming that, we're and we're going to end up disappointing consumers. We're 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 selling them a fantasy that's not a reality, uh, and we're we're caught sometimes. I, I guess this would happen if we say that uh, this car will make you so attractive to the opposite sex that you ought to buy it. You know. Let me know which car that is, please. <laughs> okay. Uh, <laughs> yes, I, I I've been asked that question before, uh, <laughs> and haven't answered it before either. Uh, but the point is that we overpromise. We exaggerate and and we feel if we got it sold, we shouldn't worry about whether they were pleased. Well, mm -hmm. that's a mistake because uh, they're going to nowadays in the hyper interconnected world, they're going to be more important as a, a source of a attitude toward the product and than any 30 second commercial. We know that, by the way. So, yeah, I think you touched on that where the uh, what the companies say is generally trusted less than what others say. And do you know we have a, a system called the net promotion score where we ask uh, not only uh, is this consumer someone who bought uh, the product a, a few times, but has is that someone who has become so in, uh, attracted to that product that we offer, that brand, that they are an advocate? and. If we have no advocates, we're not going to go very far. If we have at least some of the people who buy our, our, our goods and services ready to either answer questions of how good is that product, or in fact, they go and knock on doors of friends and say, I am so excited about this new Volvo that came out as a car. If we have some of those people they will play a very important role, much more important than the role played by any ads by the company. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You mentioned that there was one part in the book where you said, how should marketers improve brand awareness without increasing the marketing budget significantly, which I'm sure will get everyone's attention. And the answer is customer conversations, like you just described. Right. Um, custom, especially with customers who are very satisfied and, ad and acting like advocates. Right. Um, actually... Uh, there has been a system of creating buzz that uh, some companies have used where people are actually hired to see a product and if they like it, to agree to buzz about it. That's, that's pushing the limit. That's sort of inauthentic. But it should happen anyways by developing products that are highly, highly satisfying. So there's two concepts, Dr. Cutler, in the book that I really want the listener to hear about. And one of them is uh, what you call the five A's. And for reference, there's AIDA, and we're not talking about the famous opera, but it's AIDA like Alec Baldwin talked about in Glen Gary, Glen Ross, Awareness, Interest, Desire, and Action. And you explain in the book that we're now going into this new era where the five A's work better which are aware, appeal, ask, act, and advocate. Can you explain why that new paradigm is necessary? Uh, much of that has to do with the concept of the customer journey. And every customer who ends up with a product has gone through some journey. And it's not the same journey. People end up buying a, 
let's say a a, a Maserati uh, through, for different reasons and at, with different journeys. One guy may walk right into the uh, dealership and say, "I want to buy that car," and another may be stew over it and think about it and ask friends and go. So different journeys may be normal in any type of category or purchase category, and uh, we wanted to um, develop a a set of steps involved in the journey and the to that would be even more informative um, especially because they could serve as metrics um, for example uh, we have a five-step uh, thing so we might even ask um, what's the relationship between uh, stimulating appeal and that ending up at as advocacy or stimulating appeal and getting an act to occur if you look Close, uh, closely at the book, you'll see that we are almost now have a system of measuring the rate of return on marketing investment. By putting together uh, some of the actual numbers in the five steps that were used for a journey, we might be able to uh, firm up a, a, a measure of of how much we got back as a company from that particular journey. So it gets more technical, but we think that these steps, and by the way, there could be even more A's if you want to get down to it, and even if we can't create an A for them, but we've had some um, good reception to the 5A uh, redefinition that we've offered to replace AIDA. Well, we can't go too much further into it on the in this interview because it becomes much more visual, and you then overlay it with how it works with different industries, and it's really fascinating about how you can identify gaps in the different parts of these funnels mm -hmm. and the different shapes of the funnels. Really fascinating. Dr. Kotler, in the, the entire, you've had an entire chapter on content and content marketing, which I absolutely loved, and you explain that content is the new ad and hashtag is the new tagline. Can you explain that? Um, yes. Here's the thing. If you are a company and you are trying to build a strong relationship with customers, uh, you could do that by constantly trying to sell them. That is putting your 30-second commercial in front of them and so on. Uh, and that's getting not only expensive, but it gets trite after a while. And if you want to really warm up a relationship, you should know enough about the customer to know what he or she is interested in. And suppose you see an article that, let's say the customer is a fan of, 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 of uh, baseball. And there's a terrific article you read about uh, how baseball works, and you send it to him. That's content. It, it gets to the idea that you're supplying some interesting things to a customer and may be remembered for that thoughtfulness on your part. So you can't just take to content casually. If you really want to know each of your customers, and by the way, the salespeople are usually the best in knowing the content of each that each customer would value. Amen. And yet, uh, the salesman may want us to generate some content, all kinds of articles and things that probably 
our ventures to more than one customer. Uh, maybe uh, we're, we're, we're selling steel or something, and there's some new things happening in the steel world that would be of interest. Now, you notice one of the problems will be it's going to be very hard to know, did they even read the content? Did they end up with the feeling, hey, I'm so glad the company told me about this? Uh, the hardest thing will be to measure the rate of return on marketing investment in content. But it's becoming very popular for uh, companies, large companies, to put together an, some people who are responsible for searching for content that will interest the customers of that particular company and not throw, not send it all, send all at one time. Actually, we start talking about context as well as content. Context says that content will have the right impact if it comes at the right time to the right person uh, at the right cost to reading it and so on and so forth. So content and context are becoming useful concepts in trying to warm up a relationship with our customers. It related to the content, there was a, there were four words that were in the book, and I, I kept seeing them. Or I may have seen them maybe just a few times, but they really resonated with me. And it was this idea of creating content that address, quote, latent anxieties and desires. It kept coming back to latent anxieties and desires. And I'm going to be using that quite a bit going forward to try to explain, uh, try to help clients and companies uh, understand uh, that is this content you're creating, does it at all get to the latent anxieties and desires of your prospective customers, or are you talking about yourself? The act of buying anything is kind of comp is really complex. And as a matter of fact, sometimes when you ask a customer why he purchased uh, something, uh, he's only giving us a very surface explanation. Uh, we know that because uh, when we do neuroscience and put uh, earphones uh, or their equivalent on the head of a customer, and then we show the customer a picture of a of a product or a picture of a presenter who is presenting a message, uh, let's say a, a very pretty woman is, is presenting or some someone else, there's a lot of uh, blips going on when we trace the 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 the, the uh, signals we're getting. Um, it's it's so we end up finding out uh, what things really matter. What and it was all at the unconscious level. So unconsciously, once you you rec recognize Freud and other writers. Um, there's a lot of anxieties that people have. There are a lot of hidden desires. They may not operate consciously, but they are there. They're latent. The word latent means not very visible, but uh, somewhere down in our systems. So if you're really a creative marketer, you're going to not just think that a person is, is buying a, um, a, a computer uh, with a sure-mindedness about what brand and so on, but rather with some anxieties that accompany the purchase. Should I be buying one? Is it the best one to buy? Can I really afford it? Uh, and so a marketer should be sensitive to more than just um, presenting a product to someone, but having designed the whole buying experience, 
to give comfort and meet latent desires and possibly latent anxieties. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, Dr. Kotler, at the uh, very end of the book, talk about the wow factor, and that's what I want to ask you to talk about. And it says, you say, uh, in the marketing 4.0 world, where great products and great service are commodities, the wow factor is what differentiates a brand from its competitors. Can you explain this, this wow factor? Well, uh, we know it when we see it. But <laughs> I was uh, just uh, back from uh, Sweden, Stockholm where I had a big debate with a Swedish uh, icon. He's sort of their Elon Musk. His name is Koenigsegg, and he uh, built the world's fastest car. And I knew about him, but I met him, and his car was right there, and I said, wow! As the door opened, not the way a normal door opens in a car, but it just sort of goes up rather than out, and so on. So you know I don't I don't have that car. No, no. You know why you don't have it? Because you don't have three million dollars. Uh, <laughs> not car, to spend on a car. That car is not only selling at three million, but he's booked a business ahead for the next four years, and you pay your three million now, and you cust- the car's customized for you, and the normal buyer is really a car collector rather than a car driver. Oh. Because in holding it for another couple of years, it will be worth four or five million. Mm. Uh, but the interesting thing is, you asked. But you weren't about, there to buy the car. No, right? I uh, <laughs> actually he gave me a car. It was a small little model of the car. Oh, okay. <laughs> that was uh, very thoughtful of him. He gave me the model. But the main thing is that uh, you can now you're not going to feel a wow with uh, with a, a, a new toothpaste. Possibly, unless suddenly it cleans your teeth. You know, they all claim cleaning your teeth white never seems to work. And if if one comes along and I try it, wow, I've got the cleanest teeth overnight. So wows can happen because you built into the product or service something that is not supplied by the average uh, supplier. And, 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 and maybe even quite proprietary and not easy to copy. Uh, so we should aim high. We should not only aim for um, a product that satisfies the customer. We should think of a way to where the whole delivery system and experience is something that turns him on so much that that wow is transferred to all of his friends and anyone else who cares to listen to his experience. Mm-hmm. And you, you talk about, it's explained in, in more detail, you talk about from the customer's point of view, three levels exist, which are enjoyment, experience, and engagement. So it's, it's interesting to put that lens on and then go off into the world and look at how companies are doing as it relates to those three things and, and creating wow. And you have examples of uh, companies that are, that are engineering this very well. Yeah. So, Dr. Kotler, if readers took only one thing away from the book, what would you hope it would be? Um, I would hope that the reader, uh, and especially if this is uh, these are executives of companies that want to not only succeed but uh, wow their customers, that they basically aim high and start bringing in the digital age and all the connectivity that offers uh, them to be able to reach uh, so many of their potential customers, 
and that they also deliver their their product and service with a special touch, a high touch, not found in in their competitors. So that in effect, they as customers now are the best advertisers of the product that they just bought. Mm -hmm. What books have inspired your work and career? Well, my best book, really, or books, are books written by Peter Drucker. What an amazing person, the father of modern management, and, and I'd even call him the grandfather of modern marketing because uh, there are a number of insights that he had about marketing way before, and he was never thought of as a marketer, but I would give him that uh, credit. But Drucker basically touched on so many topics about how to run companies successfully that that was my main inspiration. I also enjoyed very much uh, some of the early articles by Ted Levitt from Harvard, the professor there, uh, that opened up uh, a lot of areas of interest to me. I think about the time you joined the faculty at Northwestern, he might have written the one uh, Marketing Myopia. Yeah, that was his best article, although many others were very good. He said that uh, basically uh, you don't buy a drill, you, you make a hole. Right. Uh, right. And by the way, we have a, a new thought in that area by Clayton Christensen at Harvard. And he says he views a product as something that is able to do a job. So you buy a milkshake uh, on your way to work so that uh, the do you don't buy a donut because the donut is going to spill all over your suit as you drive. But if you have a milkshake, it can do the job better of giving you something to do and drink while you're driving. <laughs> so he wants for every product put out by a manu manufacturer to really define carefully what job does that product really succeed in doing. Now, we, we always talk about it, but we never put it as a job. But he wrote a whole recent book on the jobs that different products do. Oh, interesting. We'll have to include a link to that in the show notes at marketingbookpodcast.com. Right. Are there any recent or upcoming books that you recommend or are looking forward to reading? Well, you know, uh, recently I turned my interest into how marketing is affected by what's happening in our economy and in our democracy. Uh, people wondered why I ended up writing a book called Confronting D Capitalism. Followed by, in 2015, followed by a book called Democracy in Decline. And a lot of it has to do with the growing inequality of income, which I think is a cancer in the capitalist system that needs, that doesn't have to, we don't need to change capitalism. We need to make sure that there's enough money coming out of industry, going into the pockets of the workers and not all of it or a great deal of it going into fewer and fewer pockets. And actually, my thesis there is that suicide may be committed by the rich if they continue to fail to give enough money to the working class. So I, I'm basically, and basically what I'm saying is, do we want a society where there's many, many mansions being built and many uh, private swimming pools or one where there's a lot of low cost housing being built? and public swimming pools, just to put the edge on the question of making sure that 
everyone is benefiting from capitalism and not just a few. And we'll make sure to include links to those books as well. Very interesting. Dr. Kotler, how best can listeners learn more about you and your book? Well, there's a sketch uh, in Wikipedia about me, and I think if the uh, listeners would go to Northwestern University's faculty list, they'll see the a list of the books I've written and some of the uh, my thoughts I have as a uh, author and researcher. And we'll make sure to include links to those uh, as well. The name of the book is Marketing 4.0, Moving from Traditional to Digital. The authors are Philip Kotler, Hermawan Kartajaya, and Iwan Setiawan. Dr. Kotler, thank you very much for being on the Marketing Book Podcast. Thank you, Douglas, for inviting me at the 100th anniversary. And that closes the book on the 100th episode of the Marketing Book Podcast. This will be the last episode. Just kidding. There are hundreds more to go. So please don't let the end of this episode be the end of what you can learn about modern marketing. Visit marketingbookpodcast.com for links to all the things we talked about in this interview and free marketing guides from my agency. And while there, make sure to sign up for the Marketing Book Podcast newsletter so you never miss an episode. I get the biggest kick out of learning who's listening to this podcast. So please introduce yourself. Here's how to get in touch. Connect with me on LinkedIn. My name again is Douglas Burdett. Or send me a tweet at Marketing Book. And please join us next time as we welcome back to the show Scott Stratton. And we'll talk about the brand new second edition of his bestseller, Unmarketing. Everything has changed and nothing is different. Thanks again for listening to the Marketing Book Podcast.